last time and I felt so alone. It was great though. That podcast was great. Thank you. I'm Without glad you me. liked it. Well, but it wasn't as good as when you were here. Well, I didn't have a story because I've never gotten to a ruckus, a, a kerfuffle. A kerfuffle? With, yeah. With, with the police. Yeah. You lived a clean life. Yeah. This is, I'm Mary Jo Smith. I'm Colleen Smith. No, no relation. relation. Hooray. My first time. My- September. Um, this one's theme is the first time I did a one-person show. Yes, and for the first time on this podcast, I don't have a story. And neither do I. Good night. Which is crazy, because Mary Jo and I have experienced all that life (laughs) to offer. I have every STD you can think of, (laughs) but not the one that comes from a one-person show. Yes, so, uh, we have never, we've never experienced that special delight. Um, but we have three guests with us who have done it. Yes. We have a Drew Drogi. Drew Drogi, you may remember him from one of our f- uh, previous podcasts. Uh, what was your theme? First time I questioned my sexuality. That was it, yeah. 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 We oh, did yes. That, we did that on stage. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. Uh, we have Misty Monroe, who just did her first one woman, one show. woman show last, m- well, this, well, yeah, last month. Yeah, this last week. Yeah. 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 This last week. Yeah. And then Sam Pancake, who I think has done multiple one person yeah. shows. Yeah. 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 We'll get all of this information. Yes, later. yes, yes. Yeah, we're we're uh, going on yeah. and on. And uh, we have with us, as always, Ian Dr. Phones Smith. Yeah. And I believe Ian has done his own musical show, correct? Have you done a solo show? I did an open mic night. It was by yourself. I did stand up. I did stand up. Does that count? Oh, that counts. Yeah. No, it, it's too late now. It's too late. I've already declared myself free of one woman shows. Um, okay, so we are going to. Oh, and it's September first. Yay! Yay! Okay, we're going to start with our veteran Andrew Drogi. Everybody's laughing at us. Yay! Oh, hi. Hello, everybody. Hi. Um, I apologize. My my voice is a, is a little bit shot. I've been screaming on stage forever. I'm a little bit like Deborah Winger. In a one-man show? Uh, no, no, but I'm getting ready to do my one-man show again in a few weeks. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. But, um, okay, so I always, um, I've seen so many great one-person shows, and I, it's always been a thing for me that, like, you know, when you see Lily Tomlin do Search for Signs, or you see John Leguizamo, or, you know, Julia Sweeney, these people, they do these solo shows and you're like, I could never do that. I could never remotely get on stage and just for an hour, two hours, whatever, do that, do a whole thing. But then I've also seen so many horrible one-person shows <laughs> that you're like I the most, I can do that. No. <laughs> no, but I've been so scared of being that when I get up. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, these, these, just these self-satisfying, disgusting, like... This is how talented I am. All these characters are on a bus ride together. Look at them all together. Or like, or a show about like, what a good person I am at the end of the day. And so it was always like the idea of a one person show always felt ridiculous to me. And I remember it was something that like, um, I remember when I, um, Kenneth Branagh like released his autobiography. Like he was basically commissioned by I don't know, was it the National Theater? I don't know who commissioned him to write his biography when he was like 30. And he was like, I can't write a bio. I'm 30. What do I know? And he called it Beginnings. And he was basically, the whole biography was like, I know nothing. I'm 30. And I thought that was so wise at that age to be like, I don't really know anything about life. And how, who am I to get up and talk about this? And By the way, that's the nicest thing I've ever heard said about Kenneth Brown. I, I, you know, no, I've heard quite a few uh, rotten. Yeah. Oh, sure. We could get into it. Yeah, yeah, sure. No, but I, I thought that was always, like, admirable as, like, a performer. And when you're, like, you know, you, it takes a certain level of narcissism to, like, get up on stage and be, like, everyone's going to love me. 
by myself with yes. no one else involved. And so I have such a sense and, and part of me it's like my Southern upbringing, my Presbyterian upbringing, which Sam Pancake understands both of those two perspectives. And like the groundlings, which is so like, it, it makes you write for yourself and makes you like, you know, take care of yourself and do that. But also like, you're always playing a character. I always hid behind wigs and glasses and I always hid behind, oh, this is a character. If I'm playing an idiot, it, I even did solo pieces. You know, I did some sketches in the groundlings where I was just me on stage, but it was like how pretentious my character's being. So I, I never considered it, but um, there was a storytelling show at the Comedy Central stage where we actually did the podcast on stage called Sit and Spin, and it's still been Jill Soloway's show. It's been running for a million years, and it's this incredible storytelling show. And I got in, I started to go and see it, and I really enjoyed it. And then I had a friend that was deeply involved in it, Anderson Gabrick is his name, and he was like, you need to come do it. And I had um, a story. I had been telling people in Mixed Company about Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou was a teacher <laughs> of mine, and she was a horrible human being. And I was like, little do you know, Maya Angelou is a terrible person. Oh and people are like, Maya Angelou, how can you say that? I'm like, I have stories. Oh. And he was like, I'm going to oh. sign you up to do Sit and Spin, and you're going to have to write a piece about how Maya Angelou is a, it was awful. And so I was like, I know. Okay, so she taught. She taught at Wake Forest University, where I went to school in North Carolina, and she taught a three-week class, uh, one like once a year. So for three weeks, she would stand in an auditorium and just orate in front of like a hundred students. And Wake Forest was known for like. 20 or less students in a class and you really got to know your teachers and it was very much mm. about like discourse and you have these stories and you would really get to know your teachers and I mean I was in the theater department and a lot of our a lot of our teachers we knew on a first name basis so it wasn't like you know you had that distance but with Dr. Maya Angelo <laughs> there was this huge wall of like don't you dare try to cross her you know and try to get over the you know through that um so she did this staged reading of poetry and it was just this, basically every class she would come in and just recite her own books, name drop that she was really good friends with Bill Clinton and that she, she missed a whole, <laughs> one of the three weeks in my class she missed to go to Africa to like, you know, hang with, 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 no, with um, Bill Clinton. Oh. You know, okay. President Clinton. And everything was just this, like, oh, children. Oh. And it was this, and, and it was just, it was just the most, I've never been around someone who was more obsessed with their own celebrity than this poet. Not like a movie star, not someone who's like, you know, an idiot. You're like, you you should do better. I'm sorry. You're a writer. You're a well-respected genius, like, you know, writer and and like and I just thought she was an idiot and I thought that there were a lot of people at Wake Forest who were like scared to say I think my angel is terrible so anyway <laughs> so I did that as a as a piece as a, as a piece and I was so nervous because I had never gotten up on stage as myself in front of an audience of people and said this and I'm like I'm gonna be the first person I know that gets on stage and says this big news that like everyone's you know um, you know, the world's grandmother that everyone loves, like Mother Teresa is an asshole. Yeah. And so I, I did that. She was still alive. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. She yeah. just died, I think, two recently. years ago. Recently, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so um, anyway, so I did that, and it 
felt really great to do that. And then I did another story in Sit and Spin about another, a crazy teacher I had who had a nervous breakdown on, uh, you know, in, in 10th grade, had a teacher that had a nervous breakdown. So I was like, I have all these stories about teachers. And I was supposed to do a show, um, a, a sketch show, um, and and with all from all my Groundling sketches, and I couldn't get it together, and I still had the date booked, and like a month before the show, and Anderson was just basically like, you need to do a one-man show about all the crazy teachers you've had, because you're a teacher now. I was teaching at the Groundlings. He's like- Anderson was the people who ran Sit and Spin. Right? Yes, yes. Anderson ran Sit and Spin, yes. And so he was it's like- Anderson Cooper, and he's named Robert. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> he's no better than Dr. Angela. <laughs> <laughs> and so- Anderson was basically like, I want to direct it. And so he directed my first show. And I was like, I'm going to do a show. And so I called my show Bad Education about these crazy teachers that I'd had. And my fear as a current teacher of being any of those people. Because I had a teacher in seventh grade who made us watch Dead Poet Society. And she kind of <laughs> implied that she was John Keating. Like yes. she, she was like, here you go, carpe diem. You're welcome. I'm yeah. not, you know, and she was she awful. Crazy in high school who like ask you inappropriate questions. That were there were two different teachers. Right, so like right. so I had I had that seventh grade teacher. I had tenth grade nervous breakdown who fully melted down. And then I had my I ended it with my Maya Angelo story. And I was like, these are crazy teachers that I've had in different ways. And I'm a teacher, and you know, and I and I always had so much respect for teachers. Slash these really emotional, volatile relationships with some of them. And so that was what my first show was about. But the experience leading up to, to doing the actual show, after I had written it all and put it all together, because I had I did it in pieces, which I recommend doing. And if you want to do your show, I recommend doing little pieces of it so you're not like, I'm going to introduce an hour of material to no one, you know, for, to no one's seen any of it yet. That's, you know, tricky. So I, I did that and I, and I um, put it up. I got an audience. It was the Comedy Central stage, full house. I'm getting mic'd up. And I looked at the sound guy and I said, I think I might leave. I'm gonna walk out the back door. I've never wanted to, I've never wanted to walk out more. I was so scared to where I, I had no moisture in my mouth. I was like, I don't think I can do this. What is my first line? Yeah. I don't know anything that I'm getting ready to say. I, I've never been more nervous in my life to get up there and do that. And they were kind of laughing, and I was like, I have to just do this. I have to just get out there and do this. This is going to be a nightmare. And <laughs> and I went out on stage, and I've never had more fun. Like, the very first time, I was like, this is more rewarding and more exciting and more me than mm. any wig I've ever – any character I've ever played, any comedy I've ever done. I felt so relaxed to, to sit and talk for five minutes without a laugh. I felt so – it was the best thing. And I've done four solo shows now, and and I, it's my favorite thing to do. Yeah. Um, I love it because next to our show that we do together, yeah, is I, your favorite thing. I'm yeah. sorry, have we? Um, what was your name? Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, Sam and I've done a million shows together. Um, but I realize, think about a solo show. It's like, oh. I hold court. No one interrupts me. In life, yeah. after doing a, after you do solo shows, yes. you get out in the real world and you're trying to tell a story at a at a bar at a party, and someone comes up and interrupts you, and you go, "Damn it! You interrupted my punchline! How yes. dare you!" Yes. When you're on stage, you just the audience is just there to just eat it all up, and I'm like, "Oh, this is the best." <laughs> um, but I've done I've done three solo um, storytelling shows, and then my new show. 
that I'll be doing in New York City, the Barrow Street Theater on September 16th, 17th, and 18th. And then I'll be doing it in L.A. at the Celebration Theater on Monday night starting September 26th through November 14th. How do I know these dates in my head? I'm crazy. Because I'm crazy. And I'm the show is wonderful. Yes. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. The show is called Bright Colors and Bold Patterns, and I'm playing a character this time, and I'm playing someone who's basically having a meltdown the night before a gay wedding in Palm Springs. So it's a lot about gay marriage and about like what are we really fighting for in the name of equality. Um, and I, you know, it's it's a comedy, but it's 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 way more. Um, a lot of depth to it. It's got it's got more in its mind than just trying to make people laugh, and so I'm, I love doing it. And but every time I have anxiety dreams, I've had nightmares about like, oh my god, I, I every night I dream about going up on stage and not knowing my lines. It's a it's a huge emotional journey you go through every time you go through doing it. How did you feel physically the next day after the first time? I felt both like I felt so great, I felt so like full, but I was so tired at the mm-hmm. same time. Like I felt like, oh my God, this is, this is a lot. But you know, when you go through that and you do an hour by yourself, you're like, I can do anything now. Yeah. yeah. And it's weird because like, I've done things that like got more laughs or things that maybe more people like than what I've done solo wise. Like, but it's very personal. And when you're able to just be that raw and that naked in front of those people and you're like, these people, like there's just a connection there that you share so much there and. Yeah, now, I loved it. Because bright color and bold, bright colors and bold patterns is is a play. It's a mm-hmm. one act play. Um, was that more stressful than the storytelling show? You know, it was. It came after doing three storytelling shows, and I was like, I want to do something else. And um, I, the reason I wrote it, it was, it was, I was invited to a wedding, a straight wedding actually, but on the invitation they asked that the guests not wear bright colors or bold patterns. <laughs> and it just struck me as like, Hilarious. this is a title of a show. Yes. Asking us not to wear bright colors and bold patterns. And it's because it has nothing to do with what my show ended up being. But And I love my friend dearly who asked us to do the thing. <laughs> yes. She is a delight and the most amazing person ever. But in her mind, she's like, I want everyone to look nice. And we have some crazy relatives. Oh. And I don't want people to coming to my California thing dressing like trash. So I want everyone to wear (laughs) nice colors because, you know, that's where her mind was. In my mind, I was like, and I was driving down and I was like, and I was spending the weekend at a house with with a a bunch of gay guys. And I was like, I want to write my version of Love, Valor, Compassion or the boys in the band or like a group of gay guys in a house together for the weekend because I love those plays. Yet they don't really talk like my gay friends talk. And I wanted to play about, right. And so they, as, as you know, why you hate plays, why people talk in this theater speak. And I always was like, I want to write a play about the way I talk with my friends. Also, I wanted to write kind of my dream role because, you know, I'm always happy to, to do anything, but we have these very carved out traditional gay roles that we play. And then we play these very sassy gay characters who are like, impervious to pain and they come in in a sweater vest and they say za 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 bitch good night <laughs> yeah. or we write really straight acting gay guys who are like really hot and they happen to be gay but they're like and we're very afraid i feel like as gay men to write these these messes these gay characters that are don't have their shit together that we all have inside us mm-hmm. it's a very scary thing 
And I was like, I want to play that guy. I want to play that guy. And so when I had to do it in context of a one-person show, I was like, I wrote these other characters in the show who have who are more accepted in the world and more accepted in the gay community. But if you don't see them, you have to see me. You have to see the one who's the mess. And if, if you did a traditional play where I cast these other parts, you would be like, oh, and then there's that, there's that sidekick, the bitchy gay guy on the side. But I'm like, no, 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 he has to be the lead of his own, of this play. And you have to see this guy. And only that guy. And only I that love, guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I didn't even think of it that way. And so, yeah. and that's why I wanted to. Yeah, switching yeah. chairs and playing. Right, I'm not, it was not, because I didn't want to do a show where I'm like, show off my character work. I'm going to do all the characters in this. I was like, no, I don't want to be characters on a bus. Like I was saying earlier, I was like, it's just this guy that to me is more interesting than any of the gay guys that have their lives together. I'm going to be the one who's a mess and mm-hmm. the you know and the one that you kind of write off as the sidekick. The and I was like that's why I wanted to do it. And um it's been the most rewarding thing I've ever written and done and I love doing it and it's very scary every time I got to do it cuz it's again you're like yeah I'm going to go out and talk for and this show now is like 70 minutes. Like I started like 45 and I've been adding and expanding it. And I'm like, it's 70 minutes now. Cause like I've added a bunch of stuff to it and I'm like, okay, I'm, you know, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's my favorite thing to do. And I know I'm excited to do see it. it. Please yeah, come see it. see it. If it, it helps anyone, it's the kind of thing that normally would make me want to kill myself. <laughs> I love it so much. It's so well done and perfect. Thank you, honey. Thank you. So, Drew, why don't you give a shameless plug? Great. Okay, so my show, in if you're in New York City, it's a, it'll be at the Barrow Street Theater, September 16th and 17th and 18th, Friday, Saturday at 8, Sunday at 5. Uh, at, um, and tickets are at brightcolorsandboldpatterns.com. Or you can come and see it in Los Angeles on Monday nights at the Celebration Theater starting September 26th running through November 14th, also brightcolorsandboldpatterns.com. Um, you can contact me on Twitter at Drew Drogi, D-R-E-W-D-R-O-E-G-E, or on Instagram, Drew underscore Drogi. I'm also on Facebook. I'm, I don't know what else is going on. Universe. I'm in the universe. Mm-hmm. Enjoy the universe, everybody. Uh, I know you, Drew. I know Drew. And I love you so much that I, I'd have to trust the fact, I'm black, by the way, because <laughs> that may not be evident from the way that I speak. I can, get, I can get Ebonic. My show is called Unapologetically Black. We'll get back to that in a yes, second. Yes. So my mind exploded when you said that Maya Angelou is I will oh just call God. her a piece of work. Oh, oh, my God. No, I know. That was the thing that I went to Wake Forest. It was a big reason why I went there to study with her because I loved her. Yeah, yes. And it was, well, first of all, like what I talk about in my show was that it's a big lesson and don't worship. Don't have idols. Yes. Don't think right. that people are better than anybody. Right. right? Nobody's better. We're all fallible. We are all, we are all nightmares and skin. Absolutely. Like, you know, we're all walking around tr- doing the best we can. Uh, right. And nobody's perfect. Right. So nobody's better than anybody else. And nightmares that was the thing. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> but uh-huh. so yeah, Maya Angelo was someone who <laughs> was, yes, d- obsessed with celebrity, was always name dropping. Her shows were terrible. These stage readings that she did. 
Oh it's yes. The, the I, problem I'm was, j- yeah. The thing was that was that was really like problematic about her was that she accepted a lot of money and for doing nothing. The last eight years of her life, she was still on staff at Wake Forest and was making two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year and never darkened the door. So she made two <gasps> million dollars in her last eight years of her life oh. to do nothing. She was asked to do give speeches and she was things like the North Carolina Poets Association mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. would do a fundraiser in order to raise money for her speaking fee, which would be like $5,000 or something you for have- a night. North Carolina Poets, they have nothing. I'm a, oh, my, right. No, no North poet, Carolina Poets. No poet other than, I mean. Y'all ain't poet. even doing coffee rooms. Yeah, no, yeah. You're right. Name, name any poet other than Maya Angelou that Dr. Seuss. does anything. Dr. Right, 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 right. They would raise $5,000 and she would take the money and then call in sick. <gasps> I mean, there's all kinds of horrible stories. And nobody wanted to admit it because... She's she my Andrew. She is. I know why the cage bird sings. That's exactly. why I knew why the cage bird exactly. sings because of Maya. You know, and I, I, I have a good friend who said that she ran into her one time at a bar, and Maya apparently loved her Johnny Walker Black. I know that's right, and, <laughs> <laughs> baby. If so, you have oh the Johnny Walkers, black, red, okay, yes. okay, and, so, and blue. And so blue is hello, the best, baby. Yes. Hello, and I get it. I get it. Uh-huh. I enjoy it too. Uh-huh. But apparently, my friend who is also a black woman went mm-hmm. up to to Doctor Angelo at the bar and ran into him. Was like, oh my god, yeah, I can't believe I'm meeting you. I feel like I know you, or I feel like you know me. Uh huh. Yes. And, and like I wa- I read you, and I feel like yes, I yes. just need to meet you because I feel like you know me, mm-hmm. and I know you, and and. Maya Angelou stopped, grabbed her hand, and said, you don't know me. Oh, oh. And you will never know me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my friend was like, okay, cool. Another I, round, I'm, I'm just, honestly, yes, please. the problem is, it's oh. like when someone is a poet and a writer, you need to have a different relationship than someone who's a celebrity. Like, I'm sorry, it's different. Like, it is because it's like a. It's You're like, not Jennifer Aniston, who's like stop taking right. pictures of me when I sleep. If you on go the up plane. to, yes. I'm sorry, but if you go up to a, a, a famous, um, <laughs> minister or someone who is a like a spiritual leader, mm-hmm. yeah, you need to have a different relationship to somebody who's a movie star. Absolutely. And so, and, and Maya Angelou like sort of is crosses, a spiritual leader. Is a spiritual. Degree. Was yeah. a spiritual. I go, leader. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And yes. So that's the yes. thing. Like you have a responsibility to say. Thank you. That part. You. That part and, first. And that part first. That part first. And then you don't you don't have any responsibility beyond that. You don't have to go beyond and you don't have to say, yeah. let no, me give you a ride to the airport. You're right. But you at least right. need to be like, thank you. Not like you'll never know me. But, Are I'm you kidding me? You're a, a writer. stadium of seats. But she might have been a lot of Johnny Walker. She might have had quite a few. Yeah. Yeah. She knows what she was dealing with. She yeah. might have yeah. seen yeah. some terrible one man show moment. <laughs> right. You don't know. Right. All, All right. right, Missy. Oh, my gosh. So that happens. All right. So. <laughs> Add it to your show. Uh-huh. Literally so the did. whole reason of I, I'm doing my show is because I did know why the caged bird sang. And <laughs> I, I think I, that is actually in my show. I feel like that was one of the books that I read that was like, oh, my God, it's written from a black perspective and I'm a black woman and, and I feel it. So, yes, I agree with that, that that you should, if you are a writer or whatever, you should, you should have some vulnerability. And mm-hmm. so the reason that I did the one-woman show, it's called Unapologetically Black, is that 
Um, I just recently got into uh, I this the TED Talk of Brene Brown talking about vulnerability. And quite a lot of people had, had talked about it and I'd heard about it and I was like, and there uh, someone who had told me about this TED Talk was like, oh, there's a power in vulnerability. I was like, yeah, right. I wish there was a power and vulnerability to several seats, a stadium of them. And, <laughs> and I was not buying that. I was like, please, you need to protect yourself and you need to know how to do it. Carry a heavy purse, mace, and you know what I'm saying? Something sharp. <laughs> so, uh, but I listened to this uh, YouTube. Uh, you, it has like 5 million views now. It's like one of the top viewed uh, TED Talks of Brene Brown talking about vulnerability. And she said, that uh, the people that were the most wholehearted people were the ones who were able to forgive themselves, accept the good and bad in themselves, and and do that in others. And and so they just were like these okay, they were just okay with themselves. And I was like, what vulnerability got to do with that? What for real? And but she did this study, and and what was beautiful about her talk is that she said I was not vulnerable and I did not think there was any power in it but there is a power in authenticity because shame is what leads us to feeling that we're not worthy we're not worthy of love we're not worthy of affection and we're not worthy of closeness and relationships with other people you're killing me softly with your song hello hello on my street parked in my driveway (laughs) sat in my living room I said oh my god for real. So this might be my problem. Okay. Okay. I had, I I come from this really unique background. I talk about it in my show where uh, my dad was in the military. I grew up on a military base and uh, I have, I I had this, uh, all these multicultural friends, my best girlfriend in the world. It was Cindy, this white girl. And then I would always come every summer to the hood, South Central with my family and we black and everybody there black and we all black you know we black <laughs> so i i learned very quickly that i felt like i needed to be a certain kind of black around black people so i could be black enough and they would accept my blackness so that my blackness wouldn't be questioned cuz they will take your black card i know that may be a saying that you may not have heard before but black cards get taken stacy dash don't have hers no more oh. she don't have hers and we ain't giving it back no, stacy better Please stop don't. at Fox Please News at uh, several seats. So, so uh, I said, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I can't, this is just, is vulnerability is, is strength. How is this strength? I said, I'm, I'm going to test this. And for a long time, I kept saying that I wanted to do a one person show. And for, I kept saying it and I felt strong in saying it. And, uh, the finally it got to the point I listened to this TED talk and I was like vulnerability okay so this means I'm going to tell these stories about being black in a white world and not in 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 with my white friends not being black enough or they had sometimes different expectations about the kind of black I was supposed to be not Mm -hmm. loving in my show I talk about how I love Madonna and I still Here's the thing. I, I love old school Madonna. Mm-hmm. I love old school Madonna. I love True Blue, La Isla Bonita. I love that Madonna. Mm-hmm. Let's keep it 100. 
She went. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I do like love. Hello. Hello. You know what I'm saying? She was talking about stuff. Papa don't preach. I mm. felt all of her maybe at 10 years old. Okay. Yes. So I was like, all of that. I wanted to be Madonna. And and I told my mom, I want to be Madonna. I want to be Madonna. And that was the first time my mother told me, Misty, you will never be Madonna. Shook my world. What? First of all, woman, you have told me all my life I could be anything I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you telling me I can't be Madonna? I don't understand. I don't understand. So... Uh, I talk about that in the show, and I and I talk about. Did she say specifically why? No. Okay. She left mm. it vague, okay. and that was not like my mother to leave Ooh. things vague. But there was something very specific about her saying that you will never be her, and and then I had these experiences, and in my show I talk about the. There's mm-hmm. something called the stages of negrescence. And when I was in college, okay, first of all, I said negrescence. Mm-hmm. negrescence. That's the word I that I said. I know, I know. Relax. I'm sitting amongst the Bunster white folks, <laughs> and I had to make sure that they knew. Couldn't be whiter. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. I just had to make sure that they didn't let, the, I didn't stop on that other word. So, um, but I, I talk about, there was this thing in college that I had found out uh, that black people go through these stages of identity and learning about yourself. You have, there, is, there are moments in a black person's life where they are treated differently because they're black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And up until that moment, life is good. And this happens for every single minority, pretty much, that I've talked to in, in life, that there comes a moment where somebody treats you differently because of your race. And your race is evident. So sexuality is something different, mm-hmm. but, but, but yeah. your race is something that you can't hide, and mm-hmm. it's very evident. And so you, you, you have a different, you gain a different sense of the world from that mm-hmm. moment. Yeah. And then you have different moments, and in the sh- it's called encounters. And, and I was like, oh, my God, this is me. This is, do, do, do everybody, did y'all hear that black people are, do we go, no, okay, no. Nobody knows about this. Okay, so I sat on this, this it's the theory of negrescence. I, I sat on this information, but it changed my world because I said somebody sat and studied uh, black people having getting to a place where they have healthy identity. And a, a healthy black identity is being able to be amongst people of different races, still knowing your identity and not feeling like you need to be like them. Mm-hmm. And and understanding that you still, yes, have social causes and political causes that you need to speak out on because, yes, you are black, um, but it doesn't become your whole existence. Mm-hmm. So I said, oh, my gosh, this is blowing my mind. That mixed with vulnerability, I said, all right, I'm going to tell my story. Writing this story was one of the most gut-wrenching heart-wrenching, painful experience, because I've had a lot of painful childhood experiences uh, that I I wanted to share with people. And... Of those moments? Of those moments. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. 
mm-hmm. of those moments. Uh, there's five stages of negrescence. There's pre-encounter. I'll break it down for you really, really just it's quickly. It's so interesting. You told me this the other day. Yes. I like, so yes. I, I, it, it lives in me. So there's five stages of negrescence. There's pre-encounter. This is the stage where you, you don't really even know that you're black. You know that you're different and you just say, okay, I'm different. You black. I'm what you, you, I'm, I'm black. Not you. You, I'm black. You white. We, it's okay. We cool. Which for me was a long, I lived in that space for a long time, which was fine. And then there's an encounter. There's something that happens to you specifically because you're black. A lot of times it's negative. Sometimes it's positive, but a lot of times it has to do with prejudice. Then from that moment, you become immersive. You only want the immersion stage. You only want to be around black people. So Mm -hmm. when black people only want to be around black people, they only have black friends. They really don't associate with white people. They're in that immersion stage. A lot of, uh, I, I know a lot of people, black people, young and old that live in that stage. They don't trust forever. being, fr- mm-hmm. yes, yeah, yeah. forever. Yeah. You can live in some of these stages forever. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it feels safer for safer, them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure, of course. So you immerse yourself in your own culture, and then uh, then you get to another stage where there's it's called internalization, and you say, okay, I get it. I'm black, uh, but I'm in the world with other people, and I have to figure out how I'm going to be black in the world with other people and be my unique, authentic self. Yeah. The final stage of negrescence, the fifth stage, is internalization and commitment. You You say, I am black. I know that. I love that fact. I'm going to have to speak out on certain things that will make people uncomfortable because of that fact, and it will make my white friends uncomfortable. Uh, with the the previous stage, you rejoin society, <laughs> which is why there are black people that do not rejoin society. They mm-hmm. don't know. They don't have white friends that come over for cocktails. Right. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> they don't. They don't. That's not a thing. Mm-hmm. And it depends on where you are in the world how your experience is shaped as as a black person. It really does. I grew up in California. So my experience is very unique. It's very multicultural. And I understand that as I've traveled to the South and I've traveled to uh, different places, I said, oh, oh, shoot. I went to Boston and I was like, oh my God. I went with my Latina friend. I said, wait a minute, girl. How come we've been sitting at this bar for a really long time? Ain't nobody served us. Wow. Oh my God! Take a picture trick. This is <laughs> this is racism. Oh my God! We are wow. both from California. We have not experienced yeah. that much. I went to. I remember going to South Carolina, and then I I was like, oh, it wasn't all as racist as I thought. And then I had these moments where it was like, oh my God, girl, is that that? Did we straight just get ignored? Are we been have we been sitting here for like 20 minutes to be seated and all these other people have been seated before us or being seated sitting at a table and the waiter never comes to your table? Oh my god, this is racism. Take a picture trick. Like like you all of a sudden start realizing these things are happening to you because you are black. You can't avoid it. You wish that you could, but it's a very real thing. So my goal was to be vulnerable and share these very, some of those were very painful experiences, but they didn't all in my life have to do with being black. So writing something, a a piece that you're going to be up there talking from a very unique perspective 
in a, a crowd of people that look like you, some of them. My family was there for the first show. I just did the first show um, this week on Monday. So wow. it's only, I'm like six days out and I'm still soaring because not only did my black family love it, but my white family loved it. And I call them my family because they are people that pour into my life that I can be myself with, that I don't have to pretend with. And if I start speaking Ebonics, baby, they catch on. I don't, <laughs> I don't feel like I need to be over-articulate. There's moments, but I'm very, I have a master's degree. I, I'm that girl too. Like I love studying stuff. I'm a podcast girl. I'm a self-help girl. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm that woman, you know, that is freakish. And in the black community, sometimes I get stigmatized for liking too much, quote, white stuff in an effect of thinking that you you want to be white. And uh, no, that's what unapologetically black is about. Mm. I don't want to be white. Mm. If nothing else, I realize all day I'm black <laughs> and I'm going to be black and people going to see me as black. And I don't care about this. You know, yes, we are all human and we have human experiences. Trust and believe I get all that. <laughs> but I have unique experiences because I'm black. So and that's the Madonna thing. That is. Yes. And I didn't at the moment catch it yeah. until I had my first encounter, which was with the police. And I said, Oh, oh mama didn't say this. She mm -hmm. didn't tell me. She didn't prep you at all for it? No. Oh, well, was here's the thing. In my in, I grew up uh uh church background, you know, you just, you respect people and, and you love people, period. It's no race thing. That's, I grew up in that way. So, you know, I knew to say yes, sir, to the officer and all that stuff. Well, I would say I was raised right. It didn't, it didn't keep him from calling me a black bitch that always lies and steals. Oh, what town was that? LA. Okay. This is here where we live. Welcome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, precious baby lamb. Yes. It's a hundred percent here. Oh, yes. And I, and, and that was, I grew up in Northern California and on a military base and there's not real police there. It's military police. MP. MP. MP is exactly. military ID and they yes. know you. And so yeah. there's none of that. Oh, but baby, when you out here, and you know, there's some more stuff that I, I disclose in the show about, you know, that experience, but that was my first encounter. I was 14 and I realized no matter what I'd said to this man, he saw me as a black bitch, liar, and a thief. So at 14, at 14, 14. at 14. And I said, Oh, I, you, 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 no matter what I say, you are not going to care to know me. You are not going to care. It was the most helpless feeling, the most uh, sad feeling. And I said, okay, I'm going, I, going back to the vulnerability and sharing these stories, I realized that white people sometimes don't know about the depth of these experiences for black people. And sometimes they say, get over it. There, you make no excuses for your oh, life. All lives yeah, matter. Yeah, exactly. All really. lives matter. Not not giving the credence to their specifics. Right. Well, I, that. Gonna, I wanted to ask you. So when you have these moments, and I'm interrupting your story. Yeah, right? no, no. But do is it. it always white people that cause these moments, as opposed to Asian or Hispanic, or is it always white people? The here's the thing. It is white people, and there are, it is also black people. Oh. Mm. 
some of the, the most, the heaviest criticisms that I have received in my life have come from black people, wow. sadly. So I understand why some black people turn from black people. Mm -hmm. I was picked on more for, for black people for the way that I spoke, mm -hmm. for uh, loving education the way that I do, yeah. reading and all the books, my Angelou, I know why the cage burst <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. uh, loving they just knew she was a dick and that's why Ex <laughs> exactly they were like we know the business Misty you, you know what I'm saying get on board so uh, I got teased the most from, from black friends or people I loved Madonna I made sure that my black friends didn't know that I loved Madonna. There got to be a point where it was like, okay, you keep the white stuff with the white stuff and the black stuff with the black like stuff. Code switching. Oh, yeah, ab yeah, absolutely, code switching. Yeah. So you, you become protective and you don't become your authentic self yeah. in either of those worlds. Wow, right. Isn't that interesting? Because we talk all the time about gay people mm -hmm. being the worst to gay people. Mm -hmm. Women, women, women being are the worst so to women. mean to women. Yeah. 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 It's like yeah. any, any minority, it's like you're going to be the worst to your minority because you're like, well, I'm not that much yes. within that minority. Or, or I don't respect this within my own, you know, yeah. group. And it's so sad. And it, it, it really is. What were you going to No, no, keep going. I, I, I was just going to say that that it wasn't until I got to be a little bit older that I said, oh, more people experience this. Mm -hmm. Oh, I thought it was literally only me. No, more black people have experienced. And then you find the Stacey Dashes where I don't care about, you oh. know, the black. I'm just going to speak from some uninformed, you know, place of reference. D don't talk. Yeah, yeah. Don't talk. <laughs> attention of the, no yes. And you're like, negative? I'm going to. Larry Elders does the same things. Like, oh, okay. don't, don't. Uh, Here's my thing. I have a sensitivity to uh, people that grow up in poverty, people who grow up black, <laughs> because, yeah, yeah there, uh -huh. is, there is a, a heavier pressure on you to break through mm -hmm. yeah, to, yes. to right. a different... It, it absolutely is. Even as a woman, when you come from a disadvantage, it's tougher. So... Yeah. Doing this whole show was about telling these aspects of my life and being vulnerable and, and just putting them out there. Having 50 minutes, mine ended up breaking down into 50 minutes on stage by myself of, okay, I don't know what y'all gonna think. And I talked about white people, I called them devils at one point. <laughs> but it was, you know, and I wasn't Me calling white people devils. My mother made a point to tell me, you're calling slave owners devils. It was different, you can own <laughs> yeah. it. So uh, I, I didn't know how it would be taken in both worlds. Mm -hmm. right. But you have to go on that stage with all confidence, mm -hmm. all knowing, all loving, in my yeah. opinion. The goal is I had some great advice from a groundling, Annie Sertich, who's been doing great with her one-woman show, who mm -hmm. said uh, the goal is to connect, mm -hmm. which is the most frightening thing to do as an actor who does characters with wigs. <laughs> And yeah, lots of makeup. Yes. Right. Am yeah. I simply going to be enough for an hour? Yeah. And is the most authentic you are, the more authentic you are, period, in life, you are more than enough for longer mm -hmm. than an hour, for a lifetime. Mm. 
I, oh yeah, I'll stop dancing. Can I ask you a quick question about process? Yeah. Did you, did you, what was your process? And, and was it, was it memorized? Because I always use notes and I'm ashamed oh, when I do Oh, so when I first wrote it, Karen Mariamo is my, is, was my director. And for those of you who don't know Karen, uh, she is a beast. Yes. She, <laughs> oh my gosh. She will allow zero bullshit. Zero. And she will tell you each step of the way. I don't believe you. If, and stop in the middle of the shit. I don't believe this story. I don't believe any of it. I don't, you know. So what ended up happening is I wrote 30 pages of stuff. Okay. Right? Okay. And I said, I'm going to tell everybody First about. person. Yes. Like, okay, yeah. Yes. And then I had characters and puppetry, right? Sure. <laughs> Baby, Lady. I was going to give it to the people. <laughs> I said, I'm going to give them characters and puppetry, and this is going to be splendid. And they're going to guess what? Love Mr. Monroe. And she was like, uh, yeah, no, no. You don't get to talk about these stories in, from some character talking about you. You don't okay. get that part. I forget okay. if it's first or second or third person. I forget them numbers. But anyway, I, she said, you don't get to do that. You, I don't, by the time it got towards the last week of the show, there will be no wigs. There definitely ain't going to be no damn puppet. Okay. And Sorry, Colleen. Here's hey, what I... I, I would have said no puppets. Because when Missy told me about puppets, I was like, um, let's uh, talk about you just talking about your life. I, <laughs> But I, I thought that this was going to be some showcase of Misty's talent. Sure, sure, sure. It's your first yeah, one. Sure. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. So I said, this is going to be the perfect avenue. But, but... The, the breaking down of all these stories, she was just like, don't preach to me. Don't try to lecture me. Don't freaking, you got all this freaking knowledge of this, you know, education and stuff. But that's not what's going to hit people. Yeah. You need to tell your own stories and let that sit and resonate. And then people will get all of the messages. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. You have to that's trust good. that. Yeah. 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 When you were telling... Good parts earlier that people can't see because it's a podcast you got <laughs> misty in yes. the eyes did you did that happen on stage did you find oh yes were yes choked up? oh i didn't just choke up i cried oh that's amazing i mm. cried and and what i cried every rehearsal i cried it went from 30 pages to 20 pages to to this is going to be a free-flowing thing mm. you've got a, a model You've got a model of what to do, but you are going to stay in this model, and then you're you're going to break it down. So I I, I just knew like I, okay, this is where I'm going to stay, and then I'm going to tell these stories based on this. And oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, is this going to be a freak enough? And it was more than enough because the key is that authenticity. She do not perform. Mm. I could not perform. I couldn't even act out characters of the story. Wow. So then, and that's the vulnerability, too. That's, that's why you continued to cry, because you were open, flowing, channeling. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Connecting. Uh-huh. <laughs> keep interviewing you. <laughs> but... Yeah, being in that in in the moment of <coughs> each one of those stories and each one of those incidents, which was were true for me, 
uh, drugs was a major factor in my life and in my family's life. And to put that on stage was... With your family there. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Tell, we, I told all of our stories. Wow. I told all of our stories. And it... it I, I just... I can't... I did not imagine how powerful vulnerability could be. And cathartic. Right? And cathartic. And after it was over, I still am soaring. I still am soaring. Not just from feedback, but also from people saying how healing it was. And, and, and it healed me to be able to share these parts of myself that I had been ashamed of. And say, if you thought you knew me, now you do really know me. I didn't tell people because I didn't like... I'm not good with pity. Fuck you. Don't pity me. I don't need that shit. It's not empowering. Yeah. Pity is not empowering. So, you know, I needed, I, I don't know what I needed from other people except for the fact that I'm okay. That's it. Uh, listen, it was, yeah, it sucked. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. Uh-huh, I know. You're crying worse than me after this thing is over. I get it, I get it. I've walked on the hot coals. Yeah. So don't pity me. Just I understand. Well, what's yeah. interesting is you love Maya Angelou so much, but she's a person who talks about horror shows that happened to her. Oh, yeah. And did you ever pity her once? You felt empowered by her openness. I did. Right? I did. Which shocked me so much for Drew to tell me that she was a piece of work. I am like, oh, well, then here's the thing. You also get to the final stage of negrescence and you understand parts of yourself. That's why vulnerability is so important because baby doll, by yourself, you put that out in the world and you blessed and you healed many, many people with your vulnerability. And then you walk through life not vulnerable. You are alone. And and everybody needs and wants to connect. So yeah. and so then you have to build walls up again. Yes. You put them down in your own little room on your little typewriter or whatever. Mm. You wrote that out and you was feeling yourself. You felt good about <laughs> yourself. You felt safe. Mm. But out in the world, you don't feel safe. Yeah. And that means it's not authentic. Yeah. Wow. And, 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 and in my opinion, blending those two worlds is very difficult. It takes therapy and it takes, it, it takes a deeper looking into yourself but black communities aren't big on therapy they're not big on mm -hmm. self-help yeah, right. go to church and everything fixes it and no church doesn't fix everything it fixes a lot but it doesn't fix everything if you ain't talked through some stuff with some folks <laughs> that are professional not your homies over wine and cocktails yeah, you have to deal with some stuff well i've never been to therapy and i'm a hundred percent good exactly yeah. that's what i thought that's can what i, I thought can I ask a really quick question about are there rules about how to respond when those moments happen? You've talked about the, you know, those moments. Mm. It's like, are they, are there, maybe rules is the wrong word, but like, you make choices in those moments. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And, and is that a, is that a, is that a spontaneous choice? Like, you, you, do you have to like, like I would imagine, and, and, and by the way, like sitting here as a white person, like every word that comes out of my mouth, I'm like, am I racist? Am I racist? Am I racist? Oh, yeah. I'm being a racist asshole. Right. Like, I want to do the next podcast that's going to be all about this. Yeah. Let's just do racism. That's our next. Yeah. My first time. My first time. Racism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like, 
do you have, is it a snapshot? Like, where am I? Who am I talking to? Is it a person of authority? Is it an asshole? Oh. Who might, who, what environment am I in? Or like, an asshole of authority. That? Yes. Yeah, that's the worst. Yeah. Like, crazy psychopathic. Like, yeah. what are yeah. the rules about that? So here's the thing. I don't know if anybody's ever been assaulted, but the first time you are assaulted, mm-hmm. you, and I say first time because quite often it starts to happen again and you stop that shit. but the first time you are assaulted, you don't know what to do. And it is the same in when somebody says something to you that is out of pocket, you don't know how to respond and it can come at any age and any stage and you are stuck in your mouth. The the first time uh, somebody told me you're not like the other ones, meaning I'm not like the other black people. And I didn't defend myself and I didn't say, fuck you, who's the other ones? And what do you mean by the other ones? And what do you mean I'm not like them? And, and, And every part of me felt that inside, but because it was a person of authority, I didn't have the heart to say it. Uh-huh. And I apologized. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry that I'm not like the other ones, or maybe I should be more like the other ones. I've had casting directors ask me to be blacker. Yeah. Yeah. And, and them not realizing that that was a racist thing to say, of course, because, you know, they're coming from a different frame of reference. Uh, I, I, I am as black as I'm going to be, but I, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's a, a part of being unapologetically black. That's in the show, too. Uh, uh, I guess I can be blacker. And in my mind, I start getting degrees of blackness. There is Sydney Portier black, and then there's Ice Cube black. So I. But even Ice Cube isn't black enough because he's like. Uh huh. Remember, he went to the nice school. Uh huh. And he's yes. like a poet and yes. educated. That guy. Yes. Like- Yes, he's the least uh, the, thug of that group. Abs- uh, hello, hello. <laughs> yeah, that that is not advertised. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not mm-hmm. advertised, and then you have to understand that becomes that immersion stage where you say, "Wait a minute, white people don't advertise the fact that Ice Cube is intelligent and educated. Why? Why? He was educated differently than ever. It still wasn't even in the movie. It wasn't in the movie. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like mildly it's hinted at. Yeah, but not really. Oh my god, this is so the next thing. You have to come back for next month. Like, okay. this has to. It, yeah. it it just is. So you start <laughs> feeling like. I, I I started going into. I have a master's in multicultural and bilingual education specifically because I wanted to change curriculum, not just to make, you know, put more black stories and stuff like that in there in curriculum, but to be more inclusive into when you're a black child sitting in a classroom with around a lot of white people and the only thing you hear about your experience is slavery. Mm -hmm. What do you think about yourself and your white friends that you love that you go spend the night over and you have dinner with and stuff for like, like, Oh my God. Being black must suck. You guys were slaves. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. How'd your mom feel about being a slave? First of all, my mom wasn't a slave, and my daddy and my grandmama wasn't no slave, and my great. But, but no, they don't say there, it, but there there's a pity. The curriculum she yeah. wanted to change. Yes, there, there is a pity that comes in from white people, and, and now there's these different words like white guilt and, and this and, and that, and, and you're just like, okay, 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 I, okay, I love the sensitivity, okay. <laughs> 
okay, first of all, black people, there's some shit that we can do that we can make some no excuses for. You know what I'm saying? You getting your education, I know it sucks because the educational system doesn't nurture you and let you know that you came from inventors. There was Black Wall Street. There were some great things about you. you okay, right. However, I had a teacher, and this is in the show too. Shit. <laughs> I'm telling the show. But 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 there I had a teacher named Mr. Lentz that I loved and he was a social studies teacher and You're he in LA. this was yes it was. Um yes it was. Mark Twain Junior High near in Venice area. He said uh oh no, this was Oceanside, Oceanside High School. He said uh I had read the autobiography of Malcolm X and I became very militant after that. Uh, no big surprise, whatever. It's part of the stages of negrescence. Uh and I would be in social studies class, and after every paragraph that was written, I was like, no, black people did that. Black people aren't great. I just had this funk about me. I was like, black people aren't great. And then, and I loved Mr. Lentz. He was just like that teacher. And he said, Misty, and it, it wasn't nice or pretty. He said, history is told from the side of the victor. Whoever wins gets to tell the story. Yeah. I'd never heard no shit like that before in my life. And at that moment, he validated, I hear you. You're right. These books are bullshit. Mm -hmm. And what he said was, your history is out there. It is. Somebody has written it. Somebody has talked about it. But it's not going to be in these books. And the reason why is because white people won. So if you want to know more about your history and your culture and, and who you are and where you came from and your actual contributions to this country besides slavery, you're going to have to find them yourself. And I'm not, and, and, and it was like, he didn't go on to tell me, he was like, I'm not saying that because, you know, but it, it was, it was empowering. Your stories are out there. Yeah. They're just not going to be in this book. So stop being mad mm. and, and go find your shit. And it inspired you to change curriculum. Absolutely. That's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. And he was what? White. Mm -hmm. I do think about that with women. Like, you know, you read about suffragettes and what they did. And they got bashed in the skulls and in prison. Yes. And I, like, I haven't done anything close to that to fight for women's rights at, or freedoms. At all. Yeah. And it's like, it's not that I should have to. But I have to be aware of the idea that, like, it's not going to change just by me complaining about it. How about that? I got to do something. <laughs> yeah. How about that? Yeah. Um, um, oh, my gosh. I feel very bad. But the, the, the white woman, she's pretty, and she is all about uh, women's rights and stuff like that. And she you just came out them? with the... Yes, what thank you. Yeah. Oh, I'm Sweet. bad. Yes, streaks. We That's pretty much right. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Make it seem like I just knew. So the man knew who she was. So, mm -hmm. How about that? So Gloria Steinem, uh, I watched a documentary about her, which I'm obsessed with documentaries, and I'm black. Uh, <laughs> she said when she started to really be pro into this woman's movement, the people that were the most on her side and for what she was talking about were black women. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Black women. They got it, yeah. They, fig they, they have been known the game. She said the hardest people to convince were the white women yeah. Yeah. coming from their lily white experiences yeah, yeah. And, and circumstances. Well, that's, I think that's why there are so many from the black community who are saying about the, this most recent round from Trump who's like trying to 
um, you know, court yeah. the African American vote. That they're saying he's not talking to black people. He's talking to white women. He's talking yes. to white people that yes. are afraid to vote for him because they think he's a racist. They he already white knows middle class women. He's yeah. not yes. trying to get the black vote. He knows that. He's not talking yes. to the African American community. He's talking to the white suburban trying to lure them away from Hillary and trying yes. to make them feel better about voting for him so they don't look like a racist. Yes, and that's what he's doing. Yeah, because they want the door open for them. That's but what he's doing. But they still want to be able to vote and think, and they don't connect that like. Gallantry and rights are two separate yes. things to fight for. Yes. But we've gotten entirely off topic. Yes. I yeah. know. <laughs> yes. So we are now moving on. Moving I on. Responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Is your show still running? My show is uh, not running. It will hopefully get another uh, date at the Groundlings either in September or November for sure. Um, and I, uh, I'm on, I'm on Facebook, Misty Monroe Clark. You can friend me there. And uh, Twitter, I'm at Misty Don Mon at uh, Twitter. And M I S T Y M I S T Y D A W N M O N. That's my Twitter handle. Mm-hmm. Misty Don Mon. All right. It's me, Sam Pancake. (laughs) My story, as I just said earlier, I think off mic, it's going from this wonderful substance and depth and learning to like my clown show about growing up named Pancake in West Virginia. So my experience, I was going to, when I I knew I was doing this, I was thinking about the experiences of when I first did the show. And that was, and this is more of a showbiz story, kids. That's good. From your your uncle vaudeville over here. Um, So I, uh, Back in the 90s, I got here in the late, I'm not going to say my age, but we can all guess that I'm, I've been here a while. I'm, I'm only 29 and a half. But, um, so I moved here in the late 80s and I, I got my SAG card by like 89, 90. And I worked throughout the 90s as a casting person. And there were so many awkward times, just to go back to your thing, where African-American casting and they... And this is, and I'm this little white liberal guilt, white boy, gay boy trying to be nice. Every, but the, the casting, the... Agency would be like, uh, we would do like, you know, the black mom and dad and the white mom and dad and do all the thing. And they're like, um, we need them to be black. They would say to us, we need them to be blacker. And yes. and I got the whole thing. And I know it's different, but like I was constantly going on auditions, be le- be more straight or be more gay. Whatever mm-hmm. I was, was never enough. It's right. they're like this queen yeah. or like, you know, I was told it's too light in the loafers. and I had to go for beer commercials and be like, hey, bro, what's up? Sort of Budweiser. Yeah. He- Heather, can we talk about this? You know, things yeah. like that. But then like I had a few actors for Nate Watson Johnson being one of them and other these wonderful people that I learned from. And I, and I would awkwardly try to say like, um, they want it to be more. Um, and this one guy said more flavor. And I would like. And I knew he, and I was like, yeah, I guess so. Does that mean like black? Or he's like, yeah, just say more flavor. So I was like, so we would have to go, I'm so sorry, but you do put more flavor. And we were so embarrassed and like, and it was so, oh, but anyway. And I remember like Carrie Aisley one time coming out of, (laughs) running into Melissa Samuels in the hallway after another Jewish girl audition. Uh And one said to the other, they want you to Jew it up. So Jew it up. You know, it was all, (laughs) that's, you know. Oh, that's funny. So there's. There was all those experiences, but then there were all these horrible and sometimes good one person shows and everyone's doing on one person show. And I remember being particularly influenced by Julia Sweeney stuff. And do you remember a woman named Claudia Shear? There was a show called Blown Sideways Through Life. And she later did that play about Mae West called Dirty Blonde. And now she co-wrote another, I can't, you can look her up, Shear, A-S-H-E-A-R. 
Um, but she did a show which was on Bravo, which was so big in New York that it eventually got on Bravo when Bravo was about arts and uh, arts and culture, supposedly, in the 90s. And I remember seeing that. Uh, yeah, he's a high, yes, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. Uh, go Orange County. So, um, but I just remember seeing that. And then, like, there, everyone's doing a one-person show. And it was, uh, it was uh, and so many of them were really bad. And what Drew was saying earlier, there were so many like, self-indulgent, like, bad one-person shows. So that's why I didn't do one, because there was such a glut. And a lot of good people I knew were doing them. So it was, like, around 2000, 2001, this manager I had said, you're going to be, and I wasn't that close to 40. He's like, you're going to be 40 soon, and no one's going to give a shit. And he was, wow. but it was a loving thing for him to do, because he knew how foot-dragging I was. and. Yeah. And I did a lot of commercials in the 90s. I was able to quit my day job of casting in 96 due to commercials. And then, and so it was time, the time was right for me to do this shit or get off the pot. And I always looked younger than I was. You still are, Sam. Thank you. I um, agree with that. I completely yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Elfin. Absolutely. Some would say elfin. Um, so I got to do this show. And I had this crazy background. My last name is Pancake. It's my real last name. I grew up in West Virginia in a house that was built in, 17, in 1799 called Mill Meadow, which is our Grey Garden South, as we sometimes refer to it, where my mother still lives. My dad did until he was put in a nursing home recently. I have three brothers. Uh, there are six of us, th- three boys, three girls, all from the same parents, total Brady Bunch. We grew up in the Brady Bunch you know, generation. And I just like grew up in this this uh, culture and this background that was very like 19th century, but in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So, and I didn't think my story was at all unique or anyone would want to hear it. But here and there, and the other, I would talk about like our housekeeper Effie Hot, who would who would say. I don't know if I'm going back to this, but like this is this is a part of the racism. This is how I kind of knew it wasn't. She used to tell us that if we told a lie, there was a black man that lived under the bridge that was going to come and get us. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes, I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I literally remember thinking, like, so was, what? Uh, fine by me. She was white. She was white. There were very, West Virginia, the county I was from, was very, there were a few, it was that situation where there were just a few black families. And they were in my grades. It was the Riggleman's, the Denmarks, uh, and the wow. Willis, the Willises, the and the Ham- and the Hamiltons. And Caleb was a Hamilton. I hope it's okay. I'm saying all this because they didn't agree to be anyway. But like they were sports <laughs> yeah. athletes and cheerleaders and popular. And like so, it wasn't like I lived in a dream bubble. Of course, they had a completely different experience than I did. Yeah. And my parents weren't racist. And we were told very young not to use these words. And this is a bad word. And et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, but um. What was my point? So, but our, our, this is going to sound gross, our servants, the people who worked for us were all white because they were not, this, you know, they, whatever. So, um, <laughs> they were, you know, they were professionals. They yeah. were not, you know, cl- yeah. it was a class thing and they yeah. were, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So they weren't, so, uh, they, they, listen to me. So, um, but our, but where was I? This is where I can't tell you a story straight. Stories about, Why would anybody want uh, to hear your story? Oh, yeah. So, but it was very unique. And Pancake is our real name. And it was German. And my family had been there in that county since the 73s and fought in the, the Revolutionary War and the Civil War and, you know, all the things. And it was the same houses, the same farm that I, go, I went back to two weeks ago. Still wow. there, so it's kind of amazing. Yeah, and like at one point there was this Indian. We didn't know there was this, and this flood in '95 came through in 1985, and un, uh, I was walking on our land, and this is in my show too, the first one, and I was walking with my sister, and I thought I saw a white rock after this flood on our farm, and I picked it up, and it was a skull. Yeah, and the flood had churned up this in, literal fucking Indian burial ground. Oh. And people used to say, do you think that that was the curse? And my mother would say, that flood was already the curse. We got the curse right, first. Right. So I had all these experiences. And so I decided here in L.A. to do the show. And the first version of it, and I've done t- like three or four versions through the years, 
was called Sam Pancake and how he got that way, which was such a dumb name. <laughs> I, I feel like, and then later it was, I changed it to, uh, the head is not reliable because it's something my mother said to me because also in Mill Meadow, the house I grew up in, my father growing up there too. And it's where my grandfather had committed suicide in the study room, as he called it, his little study room behind the bedroom. And Effie, the, our housekeeper, who we inherited, who because yeah. uh, she came with the house, y'all, and yeah. lived just across the railroad tracks yeah. and would walk uh-huh. to work every day. And um, and she uh, found my grandfather. But So anyway, when uh, th- there's all these legends and stories around my grandfather and the, how he shot himself in the heart for suicide instead of the head. And I remember being little and saying to my mother, why did granddaddy shoot himself in the heart instead of the head if he wanted to die? And she's like, the head's not reliable, Sam. And I'm like, what a perfect title for memory and yes. all that stuff. So I called the, eventually I called when I, and I'll do it again. I'm sure it's called the head is not reliable and boy, is it not, you yes. know, so many ways because you could just miss your brain and be a vegetable and not die. You uh, know, <laughs> the heart's sense. reliable, I guess. Yes. So she, so I, when my, my manager at the time, who was a, a really good manager in terms of being hands-on and really caring and really being boots on the ground for me, didn't have a lot of clout. So, but what I did do, I had just done Curb, my first episode of Curb Your, Enthousi- Curb Your Enthusiasm. I'm going to slow down, take a breath. Mm-hmm. My spiritual guru slash chiropractor always says, Sam, take a breath. <laughs> so I had done Curb with Groundlings and Cheryl Hine, Groundlings Cheryl Hine, who I'd also gone to college with. And I played this, and I worked with this director, David Steinberg, who's been around forever and is a comedian back in the day and now directs a lot. So I ended up doing this one-man show that I wrote in a fury of, like, coffee and cigarettes in, in 2001. And I called it the, the you know, Sam Pecking and How I Got That Way. And I did it at the old HBO workspace, mm-hmm. which was now like... Comedy Central. Exactly, oh, yeah. yeah. So it was over on Seward at the... I don't know what that theater's called. Now, Seward and... and it's yeah, not the Huds. It's down the street. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. It's it's a different theater. It's yeah. oh. it's it's uh, is it? I don't know. It was on Seward at at Melrose, and it's that little white place. And it was it was the HBO workspace, and then it became the Comedy Central workspace when it. I forget how it went down. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But then I think it became the Comedy Central workspace, and then it moved to the Hudson. So it was. This was two thousand one, and then David Steinberg came to the show, and I remember, and some other people did too, and it went really well, and then. The high note was I got a TV deal out of it right away, which how cocky about that was I. Yeah. Because, and then the low note was <laughs> Change the it all. deal was so bad that I, and they would have a hold on me for a year that I couldn't do any other TV or anything else, that even my manager at the time, and this ladies and gentlemen, background on that is, made a shit ton of money in commercials in the last of the 90s, then started doing a lot of drugs and drinking, and then in 2000, the commercial strike happened, and even though I did a, a, a pilot for ABC, I didn't save any money or do, any, do anything right, so I had to go back to bar backing in the fall of 2000, and it was a great shame for me. It was a great tumble down. <laughs> Such an ego, such an ego. It was ridiculous. But again, luckily I looked young and scrappy and people thought I was still 22. I'm like, no, tack on 10. But anyway, um, so then, so I was like, this is me getting out of bar backing. And I finally started getting little guest star stuff and building it back up. And 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 commercials haven't been the same since that no. strike in 2000, as some of us know. Well, and because like, you know, the, the, so many cable stations. Yeah, it's bananas. Yeah, you can't buy a house off of one commercial. No, you used to be able to live for a year. For months and months and months and now it's like, oh, we need a new commercial. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I would be like three or four a year and like it was fine. 
then it changed. So then, but I was building it back up. And so I did like that doing the one man show got me out of not things that happened around that time, got me out of bar backing. And, but then it was so, I don't know how, it was such a, my first interesting experience with being offered this amazing deal. It was through telepictures and the show was going to be like what eventually became, they Kumar's on number 42, which was like, I would have my own talk show in my house and um, with my parents, but they had this thing where like, first of all, it was going to be a strip show. The deal was really bad. It was, it was just like young children. If you get a TV deal, really read all the fine print. And then they wanted someone who we know a guy to play my mother and I was because in my one man show was me just telling the story of like, here's how I grew up. I grew up in this place. I just had to state the facts. I mean, literally, there were people in my town named Toad, like things like right. that, like yeah. this oh, right, small right. town. Yeah. The county had one stoplight in it. It was very it was, you know, just like the wallpaper to me. It was yeah. nothing unusual. But to other people, especially here in L.A. or people mm-hmm. who grew up on all over the place, it was bananas. Yeah. And like I said, very like old gothic dining rooms and old maiden ants with the tiny crystal service Absolutely. and like you know the little salt thing and just yes. like the people s- oh 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 yes oh, ma'am yes. I saw those. yeah so all that and 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 just all kinds of bananas experiences of my grandfather's family anyway so <laughs> I've lost my track again it's, and I want to point out ladies and gentlemen I haven't had a drink for over four years but I still lose my place often <laughs> in my stories oh but they wanted my mother was a character and and also it was about being a little gay boy knowing that I was gay when I was four years old my daddy was a minister Presbyterian like Drew said and he and that thing of like and like you were saying like I could hide who I was barely I mean like if it had been today this little this little boy dancing around to Camelot and hair and sound of music yeah yeah yeah, exactly but I was like you know and I but I hunted and tried to play sports and everything so I knew, that, like, but I was always terrified, and that's why I'm so nervous and crazy today. It was like my anxiety level was through the roof all the time because I was like, they're going to know who I am, they're going to kill me, yeah. and they're going to turn me out, you know, yes. of, of my, of what am I going to do, go live in the river? So, because <laughs> yeah, we grew yeah. up on the river, like, it was terrifying. So, that was a part of it, too. So, they want to, so my mother is a character, and I tell stories in my mother's voice, and I do a lot of characters, but I didn't, like, didn't do wigs and stuff, you mm-hmm. know, for this one. And, um... And they wanted a, a guy to play my mother. And I was like, I, something I cannot do to my mother, as strained as our relationship is sometimes, I can't have this dude play my mother. Like, nice. And that that show got so far along, they actually shot it to the day before they were calling me to come down on the set. And it was so hard because I was unemployed. And it would be a thing that I knew my manager, God bless him, was like, you cannot do this. He was like, in this town, you can be a lot of things, but you can't be a chump. Because it would have worked out for, and I'm only saying this now just so people know numbers, because... Money was also a mystery to me as a child. Money was it was always there, but never spoken about. And it wasn't until I graduated out of college and didn't know how much rent was going to... Like, we never spoke of money. And my Ooh. my parents still have a very hard time talking about it. Wow. Um, and it's not that it's not there. It's just that I was never even took a business class. Yeah. So anyway, it was... At the end of the day, my, my manager had to break it down. He's like, after this deal is said and done, you will have $5,000 to live in for a year. And you can't do any other TV. And I was just starting to get like TV guest stars and co-stars and stuff. And you could, I could do commercials and movies. And the commercials were un, still unsteady. And yeah. I didn't do any movies, like yeah. you know. Yeah. And so anyway, I, I ended up not taking it to the day that they before they would call me, come down on set, just meet everyone. We sure we're sure you want to do it. And 
because it wasn't a, it was for a strip show they would have to go to the TV conference and sell it there in 9 months if it sold we'd start shooting 5 months later it was going to be it seemed like a lot of the time for TV 5 grand a week to do 5 shows a week was all I would get paid I would it was crazy so that's why I didn't take it and like nothing quite like that's come along like I have luckily been in series and stuff and things have been fine but it was like it was hard it was a hard pill to swallow and then I did another, so I did that, and I did that a few different times. And then the second one-man show I did was, again, I was like just the tapestry of my life was in such a way of like I came in working at 8990, going from playing like young guys, like the delivery guy in commercial, or like I'm just, it's just my girlfriend, oh, my skateboard got in the way, like on this MasterCard <laughs> commercial that I got. Like, I, So from being that guy and going into audition and being told Constantly that I was too light in the loafers and too all the synonyms, the euphemisms for gay, like too youthful, too uh, upbeat, too oh, energetic, wow. too, too flamboyant, too gay, yes. like all of it. So you think you can dance as the best. Uh, oh. You're too gay references. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, good. So you think you can dance. Yeah, they're constantly telling dancers that they're too gay through code. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot. It's That's a lot of that code hilarious. stuff. Yeah. And so I, um, so then, and that went to... Um, in my career, like d- doing some, and I, in my one man show I just did, which was characters and storytelling, which I just did this month, um, I show all my old reel of me playing like scrappy kids, delivery <laughs> kids, or young dads in the nursery with the maternity ward eating a Twix bar yes. to like, the, when I was like this, the white Urkel on the uh, an African American sitcom called, what was a blended family sitcom in, in Fox. And talking like this and then playing like all manner of like ladies please here are your salads you know which was like my some of my sitcom career and then you got to the point where when Will and Grace started and everything changed and everyone wanted Jack and I would go in and me and this is me Drew wasn't here yet he's a lot younger than I am but like other guys like Jack Plotnick and a lot of other friend white guys I mean, not gay guys, white and black Absolutely. and Asian, yeah. Alec Mappa, you know, like Jordan Black goes in for these roles, even though Jordan's straight, you know, it was yeah. just like these things we had to go in and play these men who were just like angry, <laughs> I'll say it, faggots, you know, yeah. and just going in for these roles to the point where they, I would go in, be myself as the gay waiter, flight attendant, assistant, and they would be like, could you celebrate it more? And, you know, like they, want they, wanted, they wanted Sean, just, just, just Jack, Jack, and they would say that. I don't know if y'all remember for a while it was like every, they wanted everything like Will and Grace then they wanted everything like Friends and then yeah. they wanted everything like The Office. Yeah. And now it's yeah. like everything like Modern Family or yeah. communi- yes. Community is a little old but like you know how to yeah. Yeah. when you go in Absolutely. for this stuff. Everything derivative of everything. Yeah. yeah. So I told my second show was called Wasted on a Boy because when I was little <laughs> another thing I had which are, are fading quickly were like these brown curls and these big dark eyelashes and big blue eyes. And women would say to me, like old aunts and women say like, oh, those lashes wasted on a boy. And I would think, not on this boy. (laughs) So I called it wasted on a boy. And it's just my journey from like trying to pretend to be straight little guy, you know, in 1990 to like recently and just playing all kinds of different gay people. And like, and then the period of like coming and I don't give a fuck if I, cause I've always been out, but I never like, came, I came out in out magazine in 2005 when I was on yet another canceled series and no one cared because as Jane Lynch would always say like, no one wants to fuck us and no one cares, you know, cause we're character people. Now I would like, I love Jane dearly and deeply. So it was just that kind of thing where like these, I'm not, I never play a sexual person, you know? So it was different for my friends. So my journey, I think that's the reason I've continued to work as an actor 
not only because I can plug myself into those different like assistant now I'm doing more like I go in for a lot of gay dads now and of course the landscape's completely different now in terms of like that stuff but like my friends in the 90s who were in the closet and some of these guys are still working most or not like because they were leading men white black Asian no matter the you know they were like the gay dudes who were like handsome leading men who and very few of them made the leap over to working because they people did want to fuck them you know know? so and it's it's a different world now so that's what my second show was about like that whole journey from how many shows have you written um well, writing's a, that's a good word. Let's, that's a good because what I, I was asking you about yours is all of these, and I will cop to this up for and, and Drew directed Wasted on a Boy. They were all from. I have a really hard time. And this is an again. My next show might have been my, my, my secret drinking and drug career because I had you know I, I four yeah so that's like I almost died. I didn't know how sick I was till I was checked into the hospital in 2012 and from for five nights in the detox ward and like so anyway, I. I, I didn't black out, and I have a lot of the memories of things. And but right now, it's happening right now. What were we talking about? <laughs> How many solo shows have you done? I writing. can't memorize things. I have a really hard time with memorization, and it daunts me to sit down. That's why I was asking you to sit down by myself and memorize uh, fifty minutes because both of my shows have been ideally fifty minutes, and like with laughs an hour. Yeah, you know, I that should call the next show with laughs an hour. Uh, I um, know. Yes, yes. So I have not been able to successfully (laughs) sit down and memorize because I keep rewriting in my head anyway. Like I can't just lock into it. Yeah. So uh, I always had structure. I always knew exactly what story was next. Some of the things I read, like one is like I've done, and I started doing this. This also started at Sit and Spin. I did a letter uh, to Rip Taylor, who is an older in the closet, gay man, yeah. Yeah. like throws the confetti and wears a toupee. I like, wait, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, jackass, jackass. Yeah. yeah, he. I did an episode, and I've told this on other podcasts. I did an episode of Will and Grace with him, and then he got my number and phone stalked me quite angrily and alcoholically <laughs> for a, and terrifyingly for a while. I'm still afraid of running into him. That's a whole different story. So I would read the letter I wrote to him. Um, uh, that is I wrote for Sit and Spin. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Oh, I'll, I'll, no. we went, we'll I'll, make sure I'll let you know the day he dies. <laughs> oh, yeah. At, the, at my hand. Is, he sexually, is yeah. he sexually attracted to you or he just wants to be friends? It wasn't. It was. Hmm. Um, Kate, he, Kate Flannery went through this with him, too. He will latch onto a person and just like start calling them. This is the day. This was like in 2004 with answering machines. He would leave me. I stopped picking up after a while and he would just leave me long, angry. Fuck you, little son of a bitch. Why aren't you answering your phone? God damn it. You don't have any. This is one of them on Thanksgiving. Oh. <laughs> you don't have a career. Do you answer your phone for your agent? Nobody have no fucking career. And I was smart. And they like, I don't know who she's talking to, but yes. it's not me. Yes. It's yes. not me. Go with guys. Yes. <laughs> yes. So that was oh. that story. So, but I always work from notes. Now, this last show I did, I oh, did a show. Okay. I work from notes, and I and that's why I'll probably never get beyond small theaters. Because no! and the other thing, and I don't wonder how you feel about this, because I, being an ensemble player, being in a family of six, which was bad in that I, but my parents equally just didn't care about us. They talk about waspy, <laughs> waspy parents are who are very self involved <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yes. You have clothes yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you how you shoot? Yeah, ex- okay. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and my father, I didn't want all you kids, but your mother just had to have you. He eventually came out with that about 15 what? years ago. So he kept having and he's sex a minister, with her. minister. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what your problem is. You fix this. I don't know all this kids stuff. I didn't yeah. put my penis in. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I don't know. This 
what I do. And, and you well, yeah, are the one to father. stop my it. My father didn't, like, oh, my parents yes. never have been married. My father didn't want kids. My mother wanted 12, so they had to compromise and have six. So you're six but as he well? he left after five. Oh, okay, okay. He but, like, left the five. Well, four. Four. Well, four. He never wanted kids. Like, I don't want to, like, in some ways, I can't blame him. Like, he told her I don't want any kids. Oh. Yes, yes. But put on a condom. Yeah. Ain't nobody finna put on no condom when this, this hey. Hey, this, we married. <laughs> okay, well, you this know, what happened. My yes. dad wanted five yeah, kids, yeah. and they only had four because after my little sister, my mom had Graves' disease, and she's like, that's it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Four kids, that's enough. <laughs> yeah. It ruined her tiny body. I wow. know. She's like, this is, I don't know what you thought this was going to be. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. My parents are still married. My father's in a nursing home, and they have the, the, one of the, God bless them. The worst marriages I've ever witnessed. I and don't. I wonder why I'm single. Um, I do not want to break you up. after this podcast. You are not going to be single. <laughs> I do not want to ruin the story of your one-man shows. But I do have a question before we wrap up. Um, you lived in the equivalent of a house that they would make a horror movie about. Yeah. It, it's. I can show you pictures. It actually looks pretty beautiful. Yeah, it is. You think it would be more haunted. And I've only had a couple. We've all had a few little experiences, but it was my grandfather who... Little ones. Yeah, yeah. Because I'll have the thing where, like, turn around. Okay. Like, I remember what, being washing dishes one time, and the, and the, I know, sorry, podcast listeners, but you can't see Explain this. I would be like... I'm leaning up behind Colleen's ear, and she is me washing dishes at Mill Meadow, and just this experience, like, oh, so and I, like, breath behind the ear, and a little bit of audible sound, yeah. Yes, yes. And I remember like saying to my mother, who's lived in the house since 1970, after because after Granddaddy killed himself, Daddy, my dad, my Daddy, I'm Joseph Samuel Panic the Third. My Daddy is Joseph Samuel Panic the Second. Because named after his grandfather, so his daddy is John I, John Isaac Pancake. We always call him John I. So John I, granddaddy, when he after kill himself, they moved in. But my mother, who's lived in that house forever, this happened like ten years ago. I was like, oh, mama, this thing happened. She, I was like, it's creepy. She's like, well, Sam, it's a creepy house. <laughs> Twenty-two rooms on fifty-three acres. Are you interested? Because none of us want to live there, and we, mama, can't keep it forever. But it's on the floodplain, y'all. So we don't know if we can sell it. Well, that's the farm, oh. which is different. Oh, there's a lot of pancake properties, honey. Right. There's a lot. That's crazy, because you've got slaves, Native Americans. Yes. I'll say the All. correct term. Yes. yes. <laughs> Did I say engines? And, yeah. And suicide. I, I should have said Native American burial ground. I'm sorry, but everyone back there was like, Indian burial ground. Oh, Why yeah, absolutely. Um, What's his name? Uh, American Horror Story. <laughs> Brian Murphy is writing my life, yeah. Would Ryan Murphy like to just take over the property? Yeah, yeah. Horror Story has two blocks over Oh, I thought that was it. It is. It is. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Bobby Brown said that he had bought a house and uh, one of the, the, some house, a mansion in the South, and ended up having sex with a uh, ghost. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I well, mean, if it's it, Bobby Brown, I believe him. Yeah. Sure. I right. I 100. percent Yeah. 100%. And that's in Bobby Brown's one man show. Uh huh. I slept with a ghost. Yeah. Yeah. And it and it wasn't winning. Yeah. It's, it, it was. Possible. I don't know what we're gonna do. It would be no. It's beautiful. It's 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 not as scary looking as as Grey Gardens. It's a big white house with a big wraparound front porch, and the weddings were there. Like, mm-hmm. it was. Um, this is another. I'll tell another story from the show quickly about my mother who won't. Because also in my family, two of my sisters are gay. Like Catherine, my sister Catherine has since college figured it out new didn't have the experience of I like four when I was four I was like Jethro from Beverly Hillbillies Burt Reynolds my boyfriend <laughs> but, but my sister and my older sister Anne was who's a fairly well-known writer and novelist and short story writer and professor lives in Seattle now she left Brad for I hope she doesn't mind I say this it's just true she left her husband for Caitlin who she's still with in 2003 so 
when my little sister, when uh, my sister Laura, who lives here now, who's straight and married and has kids and happens to live in LA now, when she was at her wedding at Mill Meadow, <laughs> she and my mother has never acknowledged or wanted to talk about the fact that I'm gay or Catherine. This is at this time. My later on, my mother went to Catherine's wedding to Miriam, so that was a big step. But at this time, when Laura was getting married in '98. She wanted my mother wanted her to walk down the aisle, down the hedges over to the side yard by the rock garden one way, and Laura wanted to do it another way. And my mother said to Laura, Since Sam and Catherine have elected not to marry, you could be the last wedding we have at Mill Meadow. Oh, so that's that's the old fashioned terms. To, to marry. That's a term for gay. Yeah. yeah. Can you yeah. play it a little bit more elected not to marry? <laughs> yeah. I just love it. Yeah. A little bit more. Not to marry. Not but she, in the rock garden. She would say things with a, with a wink in her eye, but she would still say things like, like when Anne, before she, when she was with Brad, not Caitlin, before they were married, she would say, I can't believe they're living together without benefit of clergy. Like oh! it's that kind of thing. It's such a deep, like yeah. the, the religious thing. It's so interesting yeah. that religion play it permeates so many areas, yes. but it yes. still makes people funky. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. Like, aren't you supposed to accept people for who they are? Oh, like, no. not try to change oh, no. like, no, no, Okay, no, yeah, no. yeah, 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 yeah. But listen, you going scourge the world. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. With your choice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, your yeah, yeah, yeah. Are going to make the world. You know, yeah. we've yeah. referenced Pat. Uh, we've referenced Jordan and the black, and then yeah, also yeah. singing Patrick Bristow because I remember yes. Patrick. Oh, I We're at all the same auditions, yes. Told yeah. me a story once where he went into audition for something, or they called him in and he said, "This, you just want Sam Pancake for this part." Oh. Like he told the people, and either went in and like barely auditioned and was like, "Just hire Sam Pancake," <laughs> and I think he said, "You got it." Maybe, but like, he, he he's like, gotten him plenty too. I mean, I'm I'm saying like deservedly. I've gone yeah. in for things like this is Pat. I've gone in things. This is written for Patrick, and it was, you know. Yeah. But he was like, he they were like, are you declining the part? He's like, yeah, I'm not ready for it. Hire I Sam think Pancake. he told me this. That's so funny. <laughs> well, God bless him. But I, him I revere him. And Jordan Black, I both said things I think are very smart. Like I was on a plane with Jordan, and we were talking about race and stuff, and I said, well, you know, eventually we'll all just be one color, like those. Those future novels where everyone's just yeah. one race. Child of Tomorrow. And Jordan was like, nah, people will always find a reason to hate each other. Yep. And Patrick yes. always says the thing of, mm. uh, yes. or he said to me, he doesn't say it always. Uh, he said, I grew up, he grew up in Burbank and he was like some Burbank high school. Like it was Burbank High and then Burbank South High or something like that. But they hated the other team. They just hated them. Yeah. And he's like, on principle, for yeah, yeah. principle. Yes. Everyone's just as white and suburban yes, and stupid. Yes. And, and exactly stupid. the same. Exactly yeah. Same. And it's yeah. just this other. And he talks about, yes. he told me about this other. That's good, yeah. And I'm like, that's actually a very smart thing because we think there's definitely something to research about why we hate other races and sexes and whatever. But it actually kind of fundamentally comes down to. How do we make ourselves feel better by hating yes, something yeah. else, even when the yes. other is exactly like us? Well, or there's yes. people in my family. How I won't go into who it is. It's not my siblings. Who <laughs> always there has to be an enemy. Yes. yes. And playing the siblings against each other, and or yes. it's my mother. But like, just like there's <laughs> always someone who's the good and the bad. There can't be the black and the white. There's like it, there can't be like there's no gray area for her. It's like it's just yeah. you it's have the to passion for the for the desperate housewives shows the the yes it's that anything. passion to Novels, watch yeah anything. it's it's I want to watch I'm rooting for Jocelyn I'm not rooting for them she's my friend I the root bachelor, for I love yeah. her absolutely and yeah it's, it's funny the Bachelor black people don't watch Bachelor 
I don't. I don't watch black person. I've never seen it because I just refuse. Desperate over someone, one. Right. Yeah. I wish I would. (laughs) You better get on another series. Uh. Uh. It's a whole gaggle of thirty women, hungry, thirsty, and but but uh, I don't know. I I just it's there's there's a a desperate yes yes. We oh yeah. Anyway, <laughs> this has been like the best, the it's, best, and the I can't longest. Wait to listen to yeah, this, but, but I, I just want to say quickly. So, Sam, wrap up. Let's but, wrap up. but the latest show I did is is called um, Sam Pancake Hot, Sweet, and Sticky. And it really, I picked. Really but thank you. I picked the title before I knew what it was. I yeah. set a deadline at Casita del Campo where we do a lot of shows. That was another thing where like I had all these shows. Yes. I had to set a deadline yes, and keep yes, it or yes. else I wouldn't have done it, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that I did it twice in uh in July and in August, and it's gonna be coming again October eighteenth. It's I'm doing characters. I do a drag queen named Hell of a Bottom Carter <laughs> who's running a drag pageant. And I all my stuff is talking to the audience. The second one is a Maggie Smith type who's singing a Noel Coward song to the audience. I have a piano <laughs> player, and then I do I tell a story about this, something that happened to me, and then I do a, a man named Fritzy Zimmer, who's like a weird, like Martin Short, Elaine Stritch, <laughs> old, the world's oldest openly gay stand-up comic, yes. and he sings and tells stories yes. and is extremely angry and probably filled with pills. So that's going to be October eighteenth, and you can and I'm Sam Pancake. Uh, I'm Jay on Twitter. I'm at Jay Sam Pancake, and I am Insta- Jay Sam Pancake. Yeah, because Take Sam Pancake breath. was taken. Thank you, Mary Jo. <laughs> At J Sam Pancake, mm-hmm. and then I'm just uh, the Sam Pancake on Instagram and Facebook. You can follow me on Facebook. I'm Sam Pancake. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Oh my god! Why do right. I talk so fast? Mary Jo. Yes, my darling. Oh my goodness. Um. All right. This has been a lovely episode. This has been maybe my favorite episode. I'm so glad we had nothing to say, so we could really get other people. I know. To say I'm things. completely excited about it. Let's make it. it more often that because we're all apparently right. super boring my, compared to all our. My best. voice is fine tonight. <laughs> We've watched the sun go down. I know, I know. it's dark out. Um, okay, so, so so you can follow the podcast on Twitter at my first time pod, and then you run out of characters, and first is spelled out, mm-hmm. right? And the website is also at my first time podcast.net. Because some son of a bitch already had .com. Which is not even really being used. No, that's why they're a son of a bitch. You will see photos and bios of our cast members and previous episodes. Yes. Um, you can also follow us on SoundCloud if you want to search us there. And we are on, on iTunes. Because so we're can, professional. Yeah, you can download us. Um, I am, if you want to follow me, though I did nothing to garner your love or respect this episode. No. Uh, it's Colleen Smee, C-O-L-L-E-E-N-S-M-I, at Twitter, on yeah. Twitter. Mm-hmm. And then and you can follow me at Mary Jo L.A. on Twitter. Ian is at Ian Screams. No, just ianscreams.com. IanScreams.com. And then from there, you can find all of his other social medias. Yes, and the photography is all done by uh, T-Chick Photo, a uh, transgender photographer extraordinaire, at yeah. T-Chick Photo on Insta and Twitter. And then, what is the last thing? The music. Oh, the music. <laughs> um, there's always music that has nothing to do with the theme, but has everything to do with Ian's genius that will play at the beginning and the end of the episode. And Ian, if someone wants to go find more of that, they just go to Ian Screams? Yeah, that's all. Okay. Right. Yeah, and you can to get it. To one shop. Yeah, and he has music on Ask Cat. Ask Cat? Ask Cat. You, you don't have it at, on Ask Cat. They just regulate pay. It's like. Oh, uh, no, where would no, you. Right. You just search it. Anyway, but he has a ton of stuff that you can use to score your films or your life. 
if you want. Yeah. Um, happy September 1st. Yeah, see you in October. Yay! Hooray!